what will happen is all of a sudden it'll click for them because they've already memorized their multiplication tables and now they see the problem on the screen and it clicks and now they get it and now it's boring for them all of a sudden right now it's just for, it feels a little repetitive i already memorized my multiplication tables well we have this test out mode and the test out mode takes you through the most challenging questions in the subject and basically replaces you so we'll just start walking right back up the chain as quickly as we can to find your new level so the system is geared to always be feeding a puzzle right at the student's level even if it's not at the student's level we have the tools to get you onto the student's level once it's on the student's level it should feel like a puzzle it should feel like a puzzle game and the math becomes its own reward so they're only doing it for the math's sake so here's the big question have you ever been so financially frustrated from years of poor financial decisions only to wonder why didn't they teach me in school anything about how to manage money? I've spent the last 20 years learning the secrets to how money really works and how to use it to get financially free on a goal to retire early. I've realized how much of an impact we could have on the world by teaching financial literacy, entrepreneurship, and a successful mindset. Join me as I interview some of the world's most successful business owners, coaches, and parents to get them to share their secrets on how you can not only learn, but teach these lessons to your kids to become financially free and impact your children's financial trajectory so they can avoid the frustration and go on to do great things. I'm Cody Laughlin, and this is the Money Talkers Podcast. Welcome back to Money Talkers with your host, Cody Laughlin. I have a very special guest here today. He is a doctor, Aditya Nagrath. He is the founder and CEO of Elephant Learning. He has a PhD in math and computer science, experience as a software engineer at the educational giant Pearson, and has a uh, contagious passion for mathematics. His, his business has exploded in being able to help kids to remote, remotely uh, learn mathematic proficiency and statistics. And so in this episode, we want to go ahead and dive deep into him uh, and his experiences and the company and really kind of peel us back because I know that there is a massive amount of parents right now dealing with remote learning. It couldn't be a more appropriate subject or content to get into right now. And so with that, uh, welcome to the show, Dr. Negrath. Hi, thank you for having me. Well, hey, listen, um, I, uh, I want to dive into elephant learning with you. But if you can kind of give me a little bit of a background of how you went from a PhD in math and computer science and to uh, into developing a mathematic program for, for kids. Yeah, sure. So, well, after college, I, I started a contract software engineering firm uh, and we had put out something like 56 uh, different applications, 30 different product lines to market over the course of around seven or eight years. And um, on the way to that, uh, one of my uh, <clears throat> one of my uh, professors had approached me, and um, they wanted to create a or they 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 had a National Science Foundation grant that they wanted to apply for, and um, basically, it, what they had to do was take National Science Foundation research and turn it into a product. And so um, that's ultimately, you know, kind of what we ended up doing. But initially, the idea was to take it to schools. And I really didn't see that working. So in that initial conversation, I, 
I was speaking to him and, and I asked him, well, you know, I don't really see this as something that uh, we'd be able to take to schools and sell just because there's so much competition. There's so many people trying to do it. Um, and at the same time, I don't really see children, you know, volunteering to sign up to play math games. So like, what is, what is it that's going on here? And what he said was that four out of five students start kindergarten unprepared for the kindergarten curriculum. And um, I found that hard to believe initially. I asked him like, how is that even possible? Yeah, because you start and, there. So it's almost like right. you're unprepared for the start, right? Yeah, exactly. And so what it turns out is that um, there's a gap in what parents understand counting to 10 to be and what kindergarten means counting to 10 to be. So kindergarten means um, give me 10 things. The student slides over 10 things and stops on 10. And many parents believe counting to 10. And I believed at the time counting to 10 is saying the numbers one through 10, right, in order. And so you know, immediately I could see that there was a gap that, okay, I understand that one is definitely a lot harder than the other, right? Counting to 10 through production, through give me 10 things and stopping on 10 is harder than saying the numbers. In one case, you might not even know what the numbers mean. You might just be saying them out loud. Yeah, you know, um, mine is kind of like the ABCs, right? Like you just learn the cadence of the song. What if I said, what's the seventh letter? You'd, you know, it would just confuse. It's a totally different concept, right? Like processing that. Yeah, exactly. Right. I mean, so, so you're kind of singing the one through 10 in your head, like as a cadence, but you might not know what a seven is. Is that kind of what the, what the idea is? That's exactly what I'm saying. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. And, and, and parents have this all the time, right? I got a four-year-old. So like a child is saying a word, but it doesn't mean what they intend it to mean, or they don't know what it means and they're just saying it, but that's what happens. Right. And and so this gap though, this ends up perpetuating because if you don't understand the teacher in kindergarten and they're mainly focused on two digit numbers at the beginning and, and trying to get students towards addition, right? Because first grade's addition subtraction. If you don't understand them, the, the, the issue tends to be is that, that no one fails kindergarten. I mean, they, they will literally pass everyone on to first grade whether they get it or they don't. And um, what ends up happening is you have students that are conceptually about two or three years behind uh, where they should be. And it happens all along income lines, meaning that it's the lowest income earners that are the furthest behind. And um, only the top 20% of income earners have their children entering prepared for the kindergarten curriculum. Um, and that's mainly because they can afford to send their students to preschool. And in preschool, they ensure that they meet the standard. And so, um, and so this becomes basically an issue of the perpetuation of the uh, cycle of poverty, because what we saw next, what he told me next was that basically where you come in at kindergarten happens to also be the percentile at which you exit the education system. So there's another piece of research that was done and it was a chart and it was basically four virtually straight lines with the only two kind of moving up were, were the top two income earner earning classes. So it was done by quartiles, 25%. So the top 50% of income earners, their students actually got better over time and the bottom 50% kind of got worse over time. And um, it, it wasn't up or down by a lot. So really what we learned is there's very little movement in between. And when you think about what this means and what these charts are saying together, 
it's basically saying that if you came in and you weren't able to understand the teacher, then you never caught up, which kind of makes sense. And it also says that if you came in and you understood the teacher, you actually did all right with the education system in the United States. So I don't even think it's a problem of like, uh, of income. It's just a problem of can we get students to be prepared for kindergarten on the way in, and then they can understand the teacher all the way through. Um, and then basically what we do to solve this problem, what, what we built Elephant Learning to do, is to be able to catch students up from a language perspective, which means that we're not gonna cover everything that they're gonna cover in first grade. So we're considered supplemental. But if I can get your students to understand what addition is, then all that other stuff that they cover in first grade is actually easy to pick up. Because if you understand what addition is, adding on a clock or adding with money or right, all of the different contexts they put it into to stretch out the year, all of that's super easy to pick up if you understood what addition was in the first place. If you didn't understand what addition was in the first place and the average student isn't, right, then yeah, you need to see it. The, the strategy from the school's perspective becomes here, add until you understand what it is. And, you know, for some students that works, but for most students, it doesn't. You know, I just listening to that, I, I've never heard those statistics and I 100, I mean, I can absolutely grasp them and see it. Um, it it's almost like you're learning in a different language at that point, right? Like if you don't, if, if you don't understand the concept with well, understand what addition is, it'd be the same as dropping me in Greece and asking me to try and do, you know, work in Greece. Like I could probably figure it out if I had the same amount of, you know, whatever the work labor was like swinging a hammer, but I didn't understand why or how, cause I couldn't understand the language. Is that kind of the same kind of concept? Like it sounds like like a kid, like if they didn't, if they don't really understand that, like, look, this is what addition is, then it's applicable everywhere. Right. It's right, supposed to be right. the other way around where it's like, just keep adding and you'll figure it out. And I, I, I want, and it, that's just, that makes it much harder. And that, that, um, divergence that you're talking about over the rest of their school time is that they're learning. sounds like they're learning to just do as opposed to learning what it is. It, that's exactly what's happening. So like, and it's nobody's fault, right? This is just how we've taught mathematics generation after generation after generation. And really the key was, was that we had already done the research. We had already found that um, the researchers, the scientists already know the most effective ways to teach these ideas to the students. And I'm gonna give you the secret here today. It's not actually very complicated. It's just kind of abstract. You gotta wrap your head around it. But once you've done it, you're there. Um, but ultimately, to, to your point, what the school is teaching is the strategy on how to solve the problem. But I don't think the students actually understand the problem to begin with. And that's tends to be the issue. You know, and that's, um, it's funny that we're talking about very young students and, um, you know, in mathematics around this. And I have felt this way in the things that I've been trying to do with Money Talkers, which is in personal finance and entrepreneurship. And it's more about the concept of how to think through it than it is even just the applications, right? Because there hasn't been a lot of things that have changed over 2000 years in personal finance. Yeah, there's some, you know, new fintech stuff and apps and ways you can think about things. But like, you start talking about compounding for a kid's life, 
I think about in personal finance areas about like high school kids and junior high kids and that you're, they've got the tools. So the down, the, they're, they're just going to have massive outcomes on the other end. But what you're talking about is even younger where the outcomes are going to be an extra 10 years on top of those kids that if they're get behind from when they're kindergarten, first grade, second grade, that it stays that way. That's in, that just blows my mind because I, I wouldn't that, the compound say that it stays that be, way. Yeah. It's just that they don't understand the concept at a point in time when it could make a difference. So, uh, well, if, let if me, let me tell the, you if this. If the study showed it stay that way, then yeah. I, I'm thinking about in the compound time, right? So if Correct. you were to save, you know, 1% of your income starting at 30 or 5% of your income starting at 30 or 5% of your income starting at 15. It is un, it's amazingly different because you've had that compound effect, but I understand, I, I get, you could I, I understand what you're saying is yeah, the trajectory so like, of the students. Yes. Yeah, it's a trajectory and, and is what I'm is, talking about. Yeah. That's crazy because they got to carry on. If you, that's if what you, the research literally says. Yeah. But yeah, it's not just through school. I'd imagine it's life too. So it just carries on. Yeah forward because most people try to stop learning at 12th grade right which is crazy but the fully impacted right yeah what and and so like the the summary research what what the scientists are saying in summary is the trajectory of the student's career path is completely changed at kindergarten at and so like yeah that's ultimately amazing. what they're saying is that the student never had a shot which to me is heartbreaking because like what we do in this country is we tell students that they can grow up to be anything that they want to be but the truth is they never really had a chance, right? Yeah, and the, the, the sad part is we have the information. Yeah, we have the information. Right, we the like information. we have the information, we just have, have, we just decide that that's not important, right? Like it's, and I don't know if it's not important, I, but I, I would say I, again, it's, let me, it's not let me a give scientific way to go with the solution to the problem, I guess is probably let, the best way. Let me give you this, because yeah. I think once you start to dig into this further, you'll come to the same conclusions that I came to and why we built, again, the system that we built. Um, so the first thing to think about is what, what does addition actually mean or what does multiplication actually mean, right? Because like the majority of students are approaching it from the, from the angle of, I, well, I got to memorize what the multiplication tables are. And the canary in the coal mine is the, is the, is the word problems. Right? So like when you're looking at a word problem, um, you actually then have to recognize that the problem that you're looking at requires either multiplication or addition to solve it. And what's happening is that in order to pass the test, sometimes we give students strategies like, oh, well, when you see this, you should multiply these two numbers. Or when you see that, but it's ultimately what's happening is that they don't understand the base concept. And what it is, is it's a lot like the colors. So like, you can't really instruct red to a student, but you can show them red things. And then you can label it as red. And now when it comes down to like these ideas that we're talking about, it comes down to that they actually have to solve the problem for themselves in their head, in their mind, and then you can label it. And that's, extremely challenging. I mean, think about that, right? Like they have to solve the problem and then you have to label it. So the thing is, is that once they've learned the initial strategy, which is counting, right? From there, they can count and we can show them the same puzzle over and over again until they've solved it enough times that they suddenly connect the two words, addition 
and solving this type of problem, right? And then they can connect it to the written math, which is a, another level of abstraction because we're not writing it out. We don't write, give me five things, give me four more things. How many things do I have now? We write five plus four equals nine, <laughs> right? So the written math is so abstracted from what the actual idea is, right? That like, what shot does a teacher have? Especially if the student hasn't had the experience, give me five things, give me four more things. How many things do I have now? So really, when you look at this problem, it, it, it's not that there's even blame to go around. It's just that this is actually a very kind of challenging trick to teach but it is experiences that students end up having over their lifetime. So like the story I tell is that I have a gardener and he cannot read, but he knows how to multiply 20s, right? If I pay him the wrong number of 20s, he knows it. And so like at some point he learned multiplication, he just didn't know it at a time when it could have made a difference in his life, which is the third grade in the United States. That's really interesting. Um, thinking through that, that, like I said, it's, it's like, you know, it's, it, it's a tool, but we're not teaching the process of how to use the tool. We're just teaching the tool and eventually you'll learn how to do it. Not why you're doing, you know, it's a lot of things like else. Like when you're setting goals, you're setting, um, things out. Like I, I always, when I try to explain things to my kids, I try to get them to understand the why, right? Cause I find that to be much more, well, for me, it's a lot more entertaining, but you know, but uh, also like it, it, I want them to get the concept a lot of times. And I think that's what a little bit about what you're talking about is like, okay, we got to understand, you know, the holistic view of the problem as opposed to just this equals that on a memorization, because that's what when I was in school. That's what I felt a lot like, like right now, I still like look back and I'm like, I can't remember half the things that I ace tests on because I just memorized them for an hour to figure it out and then jotted down my answers. But you know, the math problems were always very easy because I was always like, a, it was a thing. I always dealt in word problems in my brain, you know? And so, um, how do, so how do we, how, like you said, how do you teach the color red? Like, how do you, how do you teach them, the concept of the addition, like, I don't, where, 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 how did you tie that together? That's, a, that's crazy. Right. So uh, basically what the puzzles look like, and a lot of this stuff came from the research and there are people out there doing this like Montessori and et cetera. Right. So like, we're literally giving you what Montessori does for $1,200 a month. We're giving you for $35 a month. Yeah. Um, but basically say you say you've got a student who's giving you the, the items, right? The next thing that we do. So like, say, give me five things. And the student's able to hand you five things. The next thing we do is like, give me five things. And then, well, give me one more. And then they hand you one more. How many do I have now? Right. And now they're probably going to count to get the answer. And that's not a big deal, right? If they're using their fingers or they're counting or however they're getting it. Right. But now you're giving them that experience of give me one more. We also take one away. So we're teaching addition and subtraction at the same time. We start with one, but sooner or later they're, they start to see, right. That, one, there's a pattern to all of this. It's the order in which I said the numbers. And two, that like some, the memorization around this actually ends up being useful because I'm getting asked these questions a lot of times, right? It's part of the game. It's part of the puzzle. 
So like everything starts to come from a, a, along for the ride because the student is now geared towards solving the puzzle. And that's the nice thing about mathematics. The research shows that mathematics feels like a puzzle game if it's done at the student's level. If it's done above the student's level, it feels frustrating. If it's done below the student's level, it's boring. So the other half of our product is adaptation algorithms. So we're always trying to keep up with your student. And like, even if you've got an older student, right, that's testing behind. So like, say this is a situation that's happened. Um, we've had 12 year olds come into our system. They're testing at the third grade level. Their parents are telling us that they're testing at the third grade level coming into the system. And our system is re-verifying that. And what will happen is all of a sudden it'll click for them because they've already memorized their multiplication tables. And now they see the problem on the screen and it clicks and now they get it. And now it's boring for them all of a sudden, right? Now it's just, it feels a little repetitive. I already memorized my multiplication tables. Well, we have this test out mode and the test out mode takes you through the most challenging questions in the subject and basically replaces you. So we'll just start walking right back up the chain as quickly as we can to find your new level. So the system is geared to always be feeding a puzzle right at the student's level. Even if it's not at the student's level, we have the tools to get you onto the student's level. Once it's on the student's level, it should feel like a puzzle. It should feel like a puzzle game. And the math becomes its own reward. So they're only doing it for the math's sake. So the students that come out of the system are extremely empowered by this because they have a lot more confidence they got there through solving the puzzles themselves. So they have a lot more intuition into it and they understand the teacher at a very deep level, even though they may have missed some of the strategies along the way. Yeah, that's really interesting because I think we all got a, um, an education that not a lot of us wanted. Right. So like my kids, we went, we, I'm in Florida and, uh, we went on spring break. We went on a vacation in March and, they just extended it another week. We were like, okay. And then all of a sudden was, well, we're going to do distance learning. I'm like, okay. Nobody was trained for it. Nobody had a system built up for it. They just started dropping in worksheets, right? And through like a Google Sheets program and this kind of stuff. And then they had to go on this little system. And my kids were sitting there doing addition problems. Well, my, my daughter was in second grade and, um, and my son was in kindergarten. And I'm watching him and I mean, you want to talk about the frustration that showed up after about a half an hour. And we were, we were doing that for two months. Like it, it, you couldn't there was no challenge. And so I think I, you know, I, I hear what you're saying as far as what you're doing with uh, an elephant, like, but giving the kids the ability to, when they get it, they get it right. And so giving them the ability to self-address when they get that problem is it got to be a huge advantage for you guys because the second you don't have buy-in and that kid gets bored, it is pushing a string. Right, right. You know? So, I mean, it helps a lot. It helps a lot for, for keeping them up. And then, yeah. you know, here's the other part of it. And I mean, this is kind of, it's a little bit controversial because there's some parents out there that'll definitely give me pushback on this, but to be honest with you, the piece that we're offering happens to be the more important piece because to do, for example, what you do, you're going to pull out a calculator to add because you're confident enough to say, well, I just need to know the answer to this and it just needs to be accurate. And I just need to know it fast. And I don't need to prove to myself that I can add in my head to get the answer, right? So the more important piece happens to be to know 
to pull out the calculator and what to punch into the calculator, right? Yeah. <laughs> and for what I do for, for, for software engineering, right? I mean, if you don't understand algebra, you're not going to be able to do software engineering. We use algebra on a daily basis. I mean, just in the fact that there are variables, there are functions, that's algebra, right? And we don't recognize it as algebra. We don't call it algebra. Like when you're doing these things out in the world, we're not calling it math, but computer science is a division in mathematics in every university until like 2000, when the tech bubble had basically said, hey, you know what, you got enough students to split off on your own, right? And that's the honest truth of it is that like, look, if I could figure out how to pull out a calculator and compound the interest and get the result, that's more important than actually being able to do that on a piece of paper through the procedures that they've taught you how to do at this point in time, right? And the thing is, is that we're so focused on the second, can they do the calculation that we've, we've probably forgotten about the first in many cases. I was laughing. I saw a meme uh, not too long ago that had one of the guys and he was laughing. I just had a, he was super laughing his head off and it said, uh, my teacher told me I'd never have a calculator with me all the time. Right. <laughs> and now we all walk around with smartphones. Right. And so knowing what to punch in, to me is by far the most uh, valuable piece of the equation because the inputs uh, determine the output, right? That's always, that's what I love about math. It's always black and white, right? Like there's always an answer. I mean, for the most part, there's always some, you know, there's abstract stuff, but like for the most part, anything anybody's gonna use in a day-to-day -day business, like there's always an answer to it. So it can be right or it can be wrong, but the human part of it is determining what the inputs need to be and especially in business, right? Because if you're looking at just the answer and the output all the time, and you're not addressing the inputs, I always tell people like a profit and loss statement is just a scoreboard, right? That's the other side of the equation, right? That's, there's an equals and then there's that. But how do you fix what's on the other side of that in the entrepreneurship world is that you, you know, and that's, I think that from what I'm hearing and in, in what you're talking about is that like that understanding to me could be crucial to tomorrow's entrepreneurs because we're only 100%. gonna get more and more, we're only gonna get more and more of the automation tools to do the piece of paperwork for us. But the difference is gonna come from the, what you decide that goes in on the inputs, you know? There, there are two things that I have for you on that piece that are just super important, right? The first is this, is that what we've, been, what we've learned since we started this project is that the business schools now, because business is so data driven, is now a lot more statistically driven than it used to be. So the curriculum that they're teaching involves more statistics. So they have more students switching out of business into the humanities. So they're, they're switching from STEM and business into the humanities where there's no math, mainly because there is an aversion to math. There's an anxiety around mathematics. And when they find out that, hey, I wanted to be a doctor or I want to be a physicist and it's all differential equations or it's all these, these advanced things where it's like, well, I don't want to do it. So they switching to something that they didn't want to do. So that's, that's heartbreaking because to go from a physics major to being an English major and going from, I was going to earn maybe $150,000 a year to I'm coming out at $30,000 a year, right? That's, that's a big shift. And now you're still left with the student debt. So like, I think this is why we're seeing things like Elizabeth Warren saying, I want to forgive all the student debt that's out there because 
it was a bad deal to begin with. Um, well, you're asking people to sign. That's a totally different subject, but I agree. You're asking people who have had zero real-world lending, payback, life experience, understand debt, understand interest rates, anything, and you're giving them a $100,000 check if they want it and not explaining the way that you get to that $100,000 or what it's going to cost over their lifetime, which is and insane. They're communicating, and they're communicating to you that they don't understand the math behind it to begin with. Yeah, absolutely. And on top of that, the guy shelling out the money is getting paid to do it. So it's not exactly like he's like, hey, you probably shouldn't do this. You know, yeah. you don't want to borrow 150 grand to make 30 grand a year. Like this is not going to work out well, right? It's not going to work out well. No. Um, <laughs> but the second part of it is this. So uh, to, in order to do this project, I had to learn marketing, right? Like mm -hmm. I came in as a software engineer. My other company was a software engineering company. It was more of a relationships type of business. And I knew nothing about marketing on Facebook or marketing on the internet or marketing on Google or anything, right? I mean, I'm technically inclined. I'm sure I could get into the tool and figure it out. But what I did was I hired a marketing coach is what I did. And someone who, who had a marketing background, someone who had done it, someone who had seen some success with it, just so that I could like talk to them and try to build off their experience. Absolutely. And one day this guy tells me, can you divide the clicks by you know, one of the other things on the screen? And I do it and I get a number. And I go, what does that number, like what is that supposed to mean? Like, what does this tell me? Why did I do this? And he said, that's your acquisition cost. And I'm looking at it, I'm like, no, it's not. Because I understand the numbers. I understand what they mean. I understand when I divide the two numbers, what it means. But we have a guy who memorized a formula. So sometimes, and it's, it doesn't happen very often anymore, but sometimes I get a business guy who'll come to me and he'll say, well, can't you just outsource that? How in the world could I have outsourced that? Who the fuck, I'm sorry, who else would I have asked? Like, who else would I have asked? Like, hey, is what he did correct? Is that the acquisition cost? So like, the thing is, is like, I mean, and we turned on the acquisition cost. That was the worst part about it, is that you could just go to the column, you could say, turn on acquisition cost, and we could see, and then we found out that like, yeah, no, actually you divide these other two numbers and you get the acquisition cost, right? Divide the cost by the, number of people that you converted and that's the acquisition cost. So like, uh, you just got to have some sort of insight into these things. And I mean, you got to have it at the level of fractions, decimals and percentages where we lose most people, right? Because again, to do what you want to do, which is really talk about money and finances, it's all about the percentage rate, which is the same as the decimal that would be the same representation and the same as the fraction which represents the same thing. And what we have is actually a society that for the most part, I mean, just again, looking at the stats, 75% of uh, Americans cannot calculate a 20% tip. And just to throw, take the shade off of American, I'm American, I don't like saying these things, but um, the most proficient society in mathematics is Singapore. They got a 69% proficiency rate in high school mathematics, we got a 25% proficiency rate in high school mathematics. So even the most proficient is not that, is not that great, right? Yeah. Cause like, if you're saying that this is the language of the future, computers speak mathematics, if this is the language of the future and only 69% of the students know it, that's not that great, but Hey, it's even worse here. So <laughs> I'm going to ask you uh, a question. Why don't we change it? 
Like, why, why don't we attack the curriculum that's been in place, like you said? So this is how our parents learn how to math. This is how, math, math, math. This is how you do it. And then we look at this, we look at these charts, we look at these studies, and we go, this is the wrong way to do it. Why don't we change it? Yeah, so, I mean, look, when I took on this project, um, uh, the second half of the background that I didn't give you in the beginning was there was this company called Plastic Bank. And Plastic Bank, uh, the story behind it is the guy was watching TV and he saw something on the news that said that there's this plastic out in the Pacific Ocean. It's the size of Texas. And I think we've all heard this story, but he thought about it and he said, there's no way that that plastic's not worth money. And... Um, he devised this plan where people in India would pick up the plastic as it washed ashore and they would deposit it in the plastic bank. And I, and I think these are the right numbers, but it's been several years now. He said, I'd give them two cents per a pound of plastic that they deposited, and then I'd be able to recycle it at nine cents per a pound. But the two cents per a pound that he was paying them was more than they were earning in the shop. So there was a social advantage. And then there was an environmental advantage in that we're pulling the plastic out of the ocean physically and we're measuring how we do it. So it's a measurable environmental impact. It's a measurable societal impact and it's a measurable bottom line to the company. And what was amazing about this to me is this, this is a problem that typically, if you would have given me, I would have said government should solve this, right? And this is kind of the issue is that government is us. We are human beings. We impact the world that we live in and I think that many people look at it and say, this is someone else's problem to solve, like climate change. This is someone else's problem to solve. Like put any problem on the table where it's kind of a big problem. Hey, let's let government solve it. But government is not really adept at solving these problems. I mean, it's bureaucratic, almost intentionally so, right? It's, um, I mean, it's, bureaucratic. It's, self, pretty much. it's self-serving to be bureaucratic. And it's self-serving to be bureaucratic. And I mean, <laughs> ultimately, like you're, if you think about it, right, their motivation is that. They just have to perpetuate why they're being. It's not much different than a large corporation, right? They, like you get a budget and then you have to justify why you got the budget. So like, yeah, of course, the budget every year does not go down because every year you got a bunch of people that are just, and it's a socialist program, meaning that like they want to hire people who want the job security of government, but honestly is not even more secure than act an actual job because, I mean, you never know. The politics change, the division gets cut, it happens overnight, and maybe they give you your pension plan. I don't know, right? But you know, um, I see, the way I see things, whenever I see big problems like that, because I could not agree with you more. Like I am not, if, if you've ever worked, I've worked through government contracts. I've worked with people there. It, if anybody ever tells me, oh, the government should solve it, they're not solving it because it's, it's just people, just like anything else. There's the motivation behind solving problems is generally going to fall into the world of an entrepreneur, right? So when I see things like this, where they say, okay, you know, what that thing in Texas, right? The size of Texas plastic floating out there, yeah, they should solve this. Well, wait a minute. If there's a big problem, those that can solve that can make big money, right? The bigger the problem you can solve, the bigger the money. 
And that was kind of originally as you were talking and you were talking about the trajectory of the kid getting through from kindergarten to first grade to that trajectory of the, uh, the level that they start off with is the level that they end up at. I really, really think that if we can adjust that, right, we can, we can, if we can, if we can break that trajectory or just angle it a little bit different, that the earlier we can do that, the less the world has attached themselves to individuals, right? The debt, the kids, the family, the security, the house, the insurance, the, all that stuff. If we can get this information and change that trajectory with kids between entrepreneurship, between personal finance, and for what you're even talking on the mathematics level, because that feeds into those things immensely. Um, I think that the kids in the future will have a better ability to go out to solve bigger problems because they won't they, they will have the ability to do it earlier when the risk doesn't outweigh the solution does that make sense that, that makes 100 sense and that's literally that's my mission that's amazing so our mission our mission is to empower children with mathematics the goal is can we get the student to understand the teacher in the classroom we focus mainly on the concepts, which means that we can move faster, right? Because once you've understood what addition is, you can understand what multiplication is, even though you might not know some of the strategies. And here's the thing, the research shows, and this is true, the research shows that four-year-olds can, can understand concepts as advanced as division. In tea time, the child literally divides up the tea evenly, right? The adults in the room don't think that that concept is developmentally appropriate. That's the word that the psychologists use, developmentally appropriate. And here's the thing, it's super developmentally appropriate because the education researchers have observed it, right? They literally observed it happen and it's just a matter of labeling, right? So it's not uncommon for us to get children in our system as young as four doing concepts as advanced as multiplication and division and fractions because we start that at the same time. We have reviews on our website, which are like, hey, we watched his jaws drop as our four-year-old figure out by herself, where is one fourth on the line? <laughs> That's amazing. And I just, uh, I think, you know, for parents, and I mean, we've got to kind of button up here so that we can get to the high impact series, but it's, uh, as parents, I, I, I really believe that a lot of times we've been conditioned to put limiting beliefs on things, right? Like that's just the way the world is. And so we impose that, or we hold back um, the concepts. And I think by, you know, intentionally listening to things like this podcast, hopefully that impact starts to multiply because we don't put those reins on them, right? That it would say, okay, let's not tell them they can't do something. Let's go see what they can do, right? That's, re that's really the, the key shift. I mean, I've always kind of had that mindset and I don't know maybe necessarily where it came from, or maybe I do, but to keep the story short, <laughs> um, I remember kind of taking on challenges, like saying things to myself, like I'm gonna find a way, and this is kind of the magic of the computer, right? I would look at problems and I would say, well, I wanna solve this problem. How do I build this in two weeks? How do I build it in one week? How do I, and I mean, as a contract software engineer, that's what people were actually asking me to solve. Can you build this? Can you build it for us faster? Because we want it at lower cost, right? So if I'm charging X number of dollars per an hour, 
the only way I can make it cheaper for them is to do it in less time, right? So ultimately at Elephant Head Software, what I was doing was putting together technology stacks so that we were taking what people were doing in years, like two or three years, and we were doing it in months. Yeah, and, and people, it's, people it's are paying for the outcome, right? The people yeah. are, that's one of the things I, when I talk to people, like you're paying for the outcome. If it takes me seven years to build the product, because I know nothing about computer engineering and you can do it in three weeks, like it doesn't mean that I deserve more money because I took right. longer. It's paying. Well, for to the, be honest with you, I'd pay more to get it done in three weeks, right? Yeah. But <laughs> the thing is, is that the to impact it, right? Like that belief that we could do it is what perpetuates it, right? So like yes. when I look at software firms that are out there, they don't have an invested uh, interest in doing it faster many times, right? The, it becomes, well, this job typically takes three years. So we're going to take three years to do it. Well, you know what? I, uh, I, I think it comes back to what I talked about earlier is your why. So your why as a company is not to make a software that kids can use. Your why is to have an impact. So how do you get to the impact faster? How do you get to the impact? Because the earlier you get to the concept understanding, the faster you can get to the next concept, the bigger right. the impact. Right. That's, that's how I looked at this business, right? So that's from the previous business to this business. It was, can I put something out there? Can I get students in it? Can we show that they're getting the impact that they're getting? And that's actually why it speaks to the growth that we've been seeing is that as the students achieve success, the parents go out and tell all the people that, like, Hey, it's, look what happened to my child. Yeah, it's needed. The, the, the exponential growth is because this is a problem that needs to be solved. You know, and it's, and, and I think the what drives me nuts a lot of times, and we've got to kind of button up, like, I, we know this, right? We have the, the information, like, why don't we solve this? And so it just creates opportunities. And I, uh, I want to thank you for doing what you're doing, because it's looking at something and saying, well, those kids are just behind, instead of saying, well, how do we get them up? Right? Like, where, what call, what's the root part of the problem? And the root part of the problem was they don't speak the language from the beginning. And if they get the concept and understand the language, they have unbelievably more runway in front of them than if they don't. And so that's, that's awesome, man. Um, uh, Dr. Ingrath, where do they, where do we find out more about you? Where does the money talker audience find out more about what you're doing? Just go to elephantlearning.com. Everything about us is there and you can get signed up. And if you're looking for more information, uh, like, or if you want to contact me, you can always try to connect me on LinkedIn. Awesome, man. Well, hey, listen, thank you so much, Money Talkers. Go check out elephantlearning.com. Uh, it's, it's for any age group, right? It's for, uh, from, is it four, four to 17, 18, somewhere in there? We cover through algebra. And okay. what we see is that most students that are struggling in high school mathematics or beyond have an issue that originates in algebra. We're expanding the curriculum to cover through calculus. Uh, it's going to be sometime in 2021 that we were able to release that. Well, fantastic. But it's also, again, it's the root. It's the root. So if they're struggling farther along, go back to the beginnings and make sure that you have a good base to build on, right? Well, listen, thank you so much for coming on Money Talkers. I appreciate it very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Money Talkers with me, your host, Cody Laughlin. If you found this episode helpful in your pursuit of financial dominance, it really helps if you make sure to leave a five-star rating and share it with your friends or family members who could use good financial information and entrepreneurial success tips. I invite you to join the Money Talkers Community Facebook group. 
open Facebook, and search for Money Talkers to join today. Follow us on Instagram, at The Money Talkers, for inspirational mindset posts, encouragement, and investing tips. And remember, the one thing you can do to change your kid's financial future is to start talking about money with them because you are a money talker.